Good morning. The title of this morning's message is My Hands, His Touch, Every Day. This morning I want to talk to you about the powerful Christ who lives in us and who wants to touch all that we are with his power, his love, and his saved thinking. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, the Apostle Paul writes to his dearly loved son in the faith, Timothy, who is basically left in charge of the church in Ephesus. And he says this to him in verse 6. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. In verse 7, for God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, the first thing I want to draw your attention to is that the Apostle Paul says that Timothy received the gift of God when Paul laid his hands on him. This is important. The laying on of hands is a biblical means of communication and impartation of the power and love of God through the indwelling Holy Spirit. I believe we severely underestimate the power, love, and saved thinking. And that's what a sound mind is, saved thinking, that is right now available to us on the inside of us by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And obviously, the Apostle Paul also thought that Timothy was underestimating the power of the gifts and operations of the Holy Spirit, too. So Paul told Timothy, stir up the gift. And the word there is charisma, charisma, grace effects, grace workings, the grace workings of God that he knew lived inside of him. Notice that the apostle Paul told Timothy to stir up this gift. <laughs> what was this gift? It doesn't say specifically. But uh, first off, we have to understand what the, the word gift means. There are two Greek words in particular that means gift. It's the Greek word translated into English as gift. There's two of them, doria and charisma. Two different words in Greek, same word in English. So we don't know which one it's talking about unless we look it up in the Greek. The word doria is translated as gift and pertains to something freely given to someone by where ownership is transferred. I really like to see when I give you a gift, what is mine now becomes yours. Ownership has transferred, okay? One of my favorite scriptures for the word Doria is Romans 5:17. For if by one man's offense, Adam, death reigned by one, much more they which receive the abundance of grace and the Doria of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. The righteousness, the right standing of God is permanently transferred to us through Jesus. Righteousness is Jesus's right standing with the Father. Jesus's right standing becomes our right standing as a gift, as a doria, where we have ownership in Jesus's righteousness. Jesus gave it to us through faith in him and his finished works on the cross. So ownership of his right standing was transferred to us. So we are, if you think about it, co-owners with Christ. Sounds kind of familiar. Co-heirs with Christ, co-owners with Christ of his right standing with the Father. 
What belongs to Jesus now belongs to us also. It is a doria, a permanent gift. Ownership has transferred. So now he, of course, kept his right standing, but now we are included in it. It is a permanent gift. It doesn't come and go with our performance. Also, Jesus himself is called the gift or doria of God. We can see this in John chapter 4 and verse 10. Here, Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman at the well. He says to her, Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, the Doria, and who it is that saith unto thee, Give me to drink, that thou wouldst have asked him, and he would have given thee living water, in reference to the Holy Spirit. The permanent gift of God is Jesus, <laughs> through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The finished works of Jesus are ministered to us. They are brought into reality through the Holy Spirit. And both are permanent gifts. Jesus will never leave you, never forsake you. Holy Spirit will never leave you, never forsake you. The Holy Spirit is not like a dove that you have to be worried about offending. <laughs> I've heard that a lot through my Christian life. You have to be careful of the Holy Spirit or he'll leave you. No. Permanent gift, Doria of the Holy Spirit. Ownership has transferred. It was only just maybe four or five years ago that that light came on for me that I don't have to worry about scaring the Holy Spirit away. <laughs> Even if I'm naughty, he doesn't leave me. Because if I'm naughty, he knows I need him. Because <laughs> I'm not going to get unnaughty without him. <laughs> so both Jesus and the Holy Spirit are permanently imparted unto us. So when we believe on Jesus, we receive the permanent gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit becomes ours. The love of God is poured out in our heart by the Holy Spirit. He is given to us. He is given to us as a Doria, a permanent gift. He is now my Holy Spirit, and he can be your Holy Spirit. But right now he's my Holy Spirit. He's my permanent helper. He will never leave me. He knows how dumb I can be, and he knows I need him <laughs> to straighten me out sometimes. <laughs> he will not leave us to our own devices or our own understanding. He knows that we need him to lead us into all truth. The Holy Spirit is a permanent gift to us because of the blood of Jesus. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit only came upon people temporarily. But because Jesus has made us holy through his blood, he has sanctified us, he has made us his own, the Holy Spirit now comes to live in the holy of holies within our spirit, permanently. We are the New Testament temple of God. We don't need another building. <laughs> God said, this is what I've always wanted. I've always wanted to be in you and with you, not just come on you every once in a while. We are the New Testament temple of God. In Acts chapter 8, we see that believing on Jesus is always a prerequisite for receiving the Holy Spirit. You can't get the Holy Spirit from believing on Buddha. You can't get the Holy Spirit from believing on Hare Krishna <laughs> or whoever. The only way you can get the Holy Spirit is if you believe on Jesus to make you that holy place where he comes to live 
in us. In chapter 8, starting with verse 14, it says this. Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. Remember, Samaritan, the lady at the well, Samaritan. <laughs> First female evangelist, <laughs> went and told everybody about Jesus. And Jesus actually stayed there. So they had a certain amount of belief. We believe this is the Messiah. But they didn't really know what that all meant. Verse 16, for as yet he was fallen upon none of them, the Holy Spirit. Only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. God honors the laying on of hands by faith. And when Simon, Simon the sorcerer, not Simon Peter, and when Simon the sorcerer saw that through the laying on of hands, the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power that on whomever I lay my hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Here we see that the Holy Spirit is called the gift, the Doria of God, and that those who believe on Jesus for salvation are the ones, the only ones, who can receive this Doria, this permanent gift. It appears that Simon the sorcerer, though, was not actually looking for forgiveness of sin and relationship with God. He was actually looking for a way to get the miraculous power he thought he could use to make money. What's interesting about this Simon is that it says he believed what was preached and he even got water baptized. Now, none of them, this is interesting, none of them at Samaria had received the Holy Spirit. Why? because they didn't come to Jerusalem. They didn't come to Pentecost where Jesus told the disciples, go and stay in Jerusalem for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The Samaritans didn't worship in Jerusalem, so they missed out, okay? So here Philip has gone to Samaria telling them the good news of Jesus, people who are believing and getting water baptized, but no Holy Ghost, no Holy Spirit, no indwelling. Why? Peter. Peter is the authority that stood up on the day of Pentecost and said, this is that which was prophesied. But at that time, Peter only believed it was for Jews. Day of Pentecost, Peter thought his only audience would forever be Jewish believers. Jesus very clearly said, go into all of the world. That didn't mean just the Jewish world, all of the world preaching the good news of Jesus. Peter is the one God sent to Samaria to make sure that they all knew that what they were getting was authentic. This Simon the sorcerer, many historians believe he is the one that stirred up Gnosticism. He took a little bit of Judaism and a little bit of Jesusism and a whole lot of paganism and made up his own idea of how to get to God. He never told people that you could receive the Holy Spirit. He said you had to work for it. So this is why Peter is sent to Samaria, so that they know and he knows that they're getting the authentic Holy Spirit. There had to be a way for Peter to know they were receiving. The initial receiving for them 
was speaking in tongues. That's how Peter knew. Otherwise, how would you know? There was an evidence where he could go, yes, and amen. <laughs> but Peter had to be convinced that Samaritans, they didn't like Samaritans. <laughs> they didn't like Samaritans as equally as they didn't like Gentiles. But for each people group, God sent Peter. To the Jews, Peter spoke in tongues. To the uh, Samaritans, he had to make sure they got the same thing. Peter was the one authenticating what was going on and being changed to understand whosoever, even those stinking Samaritans, could have the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, he ends up in Cornelius' house. Those Gentiles, they're so hungry for God, Peter doesn't even get to finish his sermon. The Holy Spirit falls on them, and they all speak in tongues, authenticating that they got what Peter knew they should get, that they were qualified by the blood of Jesus to receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So both Jesus and the Holy Spirit are called the Doria, the permanent gifts from God. Both Jesus and the Holy Spirit now belong to us. Jesus is my Jesus. <laughs> you can have Jesus too, but he's my Jesus. I belong to him the way, same way I belong to my husband. We belong to each other. I belong to Jesus and Jesus belongs to me. The Holy Spirit is now my Holy Spirit because I have been made one spirit with both the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 6, 17, but he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. So we never have to fear that Jesus or the Holy Spirit will ever leave us regardless of how stupid we might act. God is well able to turn even our stupid mistakes for our good. The second word that is translated as gift is charisma, grace effects. According to the Strong's, it is defined as a divine gratuity. In other words, a divine grace, a gift such as deliverance from danger or passion but specifically a spiritual endowment. <laughs> this is the grace of God, his absolutely free loving kindness at work in us through the Holy Spirit. He gives us spiritual endowment. We don't earn the graces of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit supplies the graces that we have need of. But we can often forget about what we have on the inside of us because of what's going on around us on the outside. Our present circumstances can be scary and even dangerous while we face a future that is altogether unknown. It is then that we must remember the gift, Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and the gifting, the graces and power that are placed within us by the Holy Spirit. But, we must often stir ourselves up in the Holy Spirit. This word charisma is the word that we find in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the charisma, the grace empowerments, the bestowal of spiritual power. We have to stir it up, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. Paul tells Timothy, I know what the Holy Spirit has imparted unto you because he imparted it to you through me. <laughs> so Timothy couldn't go, I don't have it. <laughs> I think I'm short on some grace here. No, nope. the Holy Spirit has everything you need. He has every divine enablement, every charisma that you need to face the scary world in which you live 
And still, Timothy had to do all of that and still lead one of the largest churches in existence at the time. So Paul tells him, you actually already have everything you need inside of you. You just need to stir it up. We see this truth over in 1 Corinthians, beginning with verse 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. The Apostle Paul says this, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking any charisma, <laughs> any power, gifting, spiritual endowment that you need. You have it in you by the Holy Spirit. And he wants you to use them while you wait for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ. They expected Jesus to return real quickly, even back then. Okay, so he says, while you're waiting, <laughs> until the kingdom comes physically on us, while you're waiting, you have a kingdom on the inside of you. <laughs> you're not lacking anything that you have need of. When God came to live inside of us by the Holy Spirit, he brought every divine enablement we would ever need. The creator of the universe lives in us and is crazy about us. He loves us more than we will ever really realize. And he's not keeping the good things that we need away from us. He requires that we cooperate with him. And when there's all different kinds of crazy stuff going on in the world around us, we can get our eyes off of the truth of who lives inside of us and onto the lies the world threatens us with. You're going to die. No, I'm not. You're going to be ruined. No, I'm not. <laughs> I know in whom I have believed and he is well able to do far above all that I can ask or think or imagine. He is well able. I have everything. I lack no spiritual power because he lives in me. Obviously, this was a reality for Timothy. All of this fear, all of this, you're going to die. <laughs> Timothy was in a hard spot. He faced the real dangers of imprisonment and real threats of death from the government. Not to mention trying to protect the church from crazy false teachers like Simon the sorcerer and the Judaizers who are trying to turn the Gentiles into law-abiding Moses lovers instead of spirit-filled Jesus lovers. He had a lot on his plate trying to protect the church from falsehood and not get killed in the process. <laughs> he had a lot of pressure. <laughs> so Paul reminds Timothy of what Timothy already knows. God does this to us all the time. He will remind us that we really do already know the answer to our questions. That the God of the universe lives inside of us by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will never bring fear to your heart. The Holy Spirit brings faith to our hearts. Faith in God's power, faith in God's love, and faith in God's kind of thinking. Saved thinking. I have 2 Timothy 1.7 for you again, and this time I've enhanced it a bit. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of divinely enabled, miraculous power. <laughs> we have miraculous power. This is the Greek word dunamis, dynamite, power that is unexplainable, that is unending. We have miraculous power, all of us. If you have Jesus, if you have the Holy Spirit, you have miraculous power inside of you. 
most of us just don't usually take the time to stir it up. <laughs> and we also have divinely enabled agape love. When God tells us to love people <laughs> the way he loves people, you can't do that all by yourself. <laughs> you will be annoyed. <laughs> he says you don't have to live with people that you love that are annoying. You don't have to be affected by people that way. We have divinely orchestrated and supplied agape love and of a divinely inspired sound mind. In 2 Timothy 1.7, for God hath not given us a spirit of fear. This is so basic that we should know. But every Christian fights with fear. I can't watch all this stuff on TV. It incites, it stirs up fear. I don't want a spirit of fear stirred up in my heart. I don't want that affecting me. What you bring in will stir you up. What are you bringing in? Are you letting the world tell you you're going to die? Or are you saying, no, I will not die. I will live and declare the works of the Lord. No, I decide. Me and Jesus decide what happens with us. So the first thing Paul had to do was remind Timothy that fear is never, 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 never from God. A lady friend called me one day and she's like, but doesn't God use fear to, you know, protect us? No, <laughs> not his toolbox. What does God do so that we have protection? Besides the fact that his presence is with us and the Holy Spirit is leading us, he gives us wisdom. You see, if you have wisdom on how to handle something, you don't have any need for fear. None. Fear is not your friend. Fear is not from God. It is a spirit that doesn't belong to you. <laughs> so when fear gets stirred up, we have the right to say no. That is not saved thinking, and I'm not going to think it. <laughs> Even science bears witness that logic and reason go right out the window when we're afraid. Our brains actually malfunction. Scientists will tell you if you are operating in fear, your brain is malfunctioning. It isn't working properly. You will make stupid decisions if you are in fear. So he says, don't <laughs> let fear stop you. God isn't going to bring fear to our heart in order to get us to change something or face something. I know a lot of times when people get sick with something serious, they'll say, well, God did this to me. Also not true. <laughs> so that I will change. I'm afraid to die, so now I have to change. Not from God. Not from God. That's not saved thinking. That's worldly thinking. Jesus has become to us wisdom from God. We have all of God's wisdom in us, not in our brain, but in our spirit. Years ago, I was looking for an answer from the Lord. I was praying about this and praying about this. And it was like I had a filing cabinet in my head. And I kept going over and over and over and looking through the files. Where's the answer? Where's the answer? Where's the answer? And the Lord said, sweetie, it isn't in there. <laughs> the answer isn't in your head. The answer isn't in your own understanding. The answer is in your spirit. I had it. I just wasn't activating it. I hadn't taken the time to stir up the Holy Spirit. Fear pushes people to do stupid stuff. Fear torments the one who is afraid. 
God does not do that to his kids. If we are living in fear, then we are listening to what the world says is true and not what God says is true. The Holy Spirit will always lead us to the truths found in God's word. And when we hear the truth of God's word enlightened and made real to us by the Holy Spirit, then we will have peace and faith in our heart, not fear. The next part, the divinely enabled miraculous power. The Holy Spirit that comes from God gives us God's very own power. The Holy Spirit imparts to us God's divine enablement or postponement of miracle working power. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the same spirit that lives in us right now. In the ISV version, in Ephesians chapter 1, in verses 17 through 23, the Apostle Paul says this, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the most glorious Father, will give you a wise spirit. In other words, give us wisdom. Along with revelation that comes through knowing the Messiah fully. Then with the eyes of your hearts enlightened, you will know the confidence, that's faith, that is produced by God having called you, made you his own, the rich glory that is in his inheritance among the saints, and the unlimited greatness of his power for us who believe, according to the working of his mighty strength through Jesus and the Holy Spirit inside of us which he brought about in the Messiah when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly realm. He is far above every ruler, authority, power, dominion, and every name that can be named, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. This is what we have at our disposal through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the unlimited greatness of his power for us who believe. But power alone is not enough. <laughs> the Holy Spirit also divinely enables us to love, agape love, one another with God's very own love. God's love is like no other love. God loves because he is himself agape love. He is self-sacrificing love. He is the laying down of his life for the good of someone else kind of love. For God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit so loved the world, so loved each of us, that together they did for us what we could not do for ourselves. They purchased our salvation. In 1 John uh, chapter 4, verse 10 and 11, it says this, Herein is love, agape love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, the satisfaction of our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us in this way, <laughs> we also ought to love one another in this way. The Weymouth translation of Romans 5.8 says this, but God gives proof of his love to us in Christ's dying, in Christ's dying for us while we were still sinners. Humanity in no way deserved God's compassionate, suffering demonstration of his loving kindness. And that's the kind of love the Holy Spirit imparts to us. He enables us to be long-suffering. I know we don't like to be long-suffering, but we have the ability to be long-suffering and yet completely loving at the same time. 
especially to people who don't deserve it. We like to love people who love us. We don't like loving people who we don't even like. <laughs> people who annoy us or are mean to us or are unkind to us. We don't want to love those people. <laughs> but God said, yeah, those are the ones I've called you to love. And you can only do it by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit imparts miraculous power, unconditional love, and last but not least, saved thinking. The original Greek word translated sound mind is sophronismos, and it appears only once in the Bible. It's a compound word of sozo and friend. Sozo is translated saved, and friend, or they pronounce it frain, translated as mind. According to the Strong's, the word sozo means to save, to deliver or protect, both literally or figuratively, in other words, physically or spiritually, <laughs> to heal, preserve, save, do well, make whole. It is what salvation does. And then frame, it says, is the mind, the understanding, the thoughts. So if we put these two words together, which is what the Apostle Paul did, this word translated sound mind or self-control refers to how we think and in turn how our thinking affects our behaving. I really like this word because if we understand what it means to be saved, saved, <laughs> past tense, saved, <laughs> it helps us to better grasp what kind of thinking this is. If I know that I am saved, delivered, protected, healed, preserved, made whole, made prosperous, etc., then I know I don't have to be afraid or controlled by fear if I know all of that is true. If I really know and understand that God really has already granted everything I need for life and godliness, then I can simply put my trust in what he says is already true and waiting for me. Saved thinking. We're saved not just from sin, but from all the power of the evil one. So the Holy Spirit is the one who fully equips us in Christ with miraculous power, often imparted through the laying on of hands and demonstrated as gifts or graces by the Holy Spirit. Also, God has poured his self-sacrificing love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And lastly, we have been fully equipped with saved thinking <laughs> because we have been given the very mind of Christ and there is no fear in Christ. Now, all of this is good for us to know because of what Jesus told his disciples after he had risen from the dead. In Mark 16, verse 17, it says this. This is Jesus speaking. And these signs will accompany those who believe. Not the apostles only. Those who believe. In my name, power and authority, you will cast out demons. <laughs> they will speak with new tongues plural. This includes both the missionary gift of speaking a language we haven't learned, as we saw with Peter at Pentecost, and also the personal prayer use of an unknown language found in 1 Corinthians 14 too, where the Apostle Paul says this, for he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not to men, but unto God, for no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. So 
Jesus says, those who believe, <laughs> you have power and authority to cast out demons. Those who believe, you can speak with new tongues. Whatever one you want to use, you can. <laughs> and then he goes on. And they will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Part one of this, they will pick up serpents with their hands. That is dumb. <laughs> there are churches around the world that practice picking up poisonous snakes. That's not what Jesus was talking about. He's talking about physical things that can hurt you. <laughs> like, oh, I don't know, coronavirus. <laughs> How many of you are not afraid of snakes? There's only one. <laughs> no, there's two. <laughs> but usually if you find one in your house, <laughs> you will be afraid. <laughs> it is a natural thing that can kill you. <laughs> then it says, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. Jesus is talking about natural things that can hurt you, that you don't need to be afraid of them. If you had to pick up a snake, you could. If you were forced by a captor to drink poison, you don't have to be afraid you're going to die. <laughs> so we don't go around tempting God by being stupid. Satan said to Jesus, throw yourself off. Doesn't God say his angels will have charge of you and keep you from hurting yourself? And Jesus said, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God by being stupid. <laughs> then it says, and they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them, got to cooperate, and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. I said all of that to get to this. They will lay hands on the sick, and the sick will recover. Last year, I read you a testimony of a young man and his wife that um, his wife had found out that she had fibroid tumors. She had like seven very large fibroid tumors. And the doctor said, these have to be removed. But being a believer, she said, give me 30 days. And she and her husband, for 30 days, laid hands on her, believed God, spoke the word, and waited to see. They said, we never let fear come into our thinking. We always used our saved thinking. And in 30 days, she went back to the doctor and all seven fibroids were gone. Yay, Jesus, right? <laughs> that story stuck with me because they practiced laying hands on what was broken four or five times every day. And every once in a while, the Holy Spirit would stir that story up four or five times a day. One day the Holy Spirit says, well, when you had your root canal, didn't you take pain medication four or five times a day? <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> he said, but, he said, did you have to take medicine four or five times a day? Could you have laid hands on yourselves four or five times a day? You see, we have to go back to what's in us. I can't heal me. I can't heal you, but God can, and he wants to. God says, I have put inside of you miracle working power. You got to stir up your faith. If you don't know that God wants you well, then you won't receive your healing because you think, oh, he might not want me to have it. 
We never see Jesus turn one person down. Never. If Jesus had turned down one, <laughs> we could say, well, that might be you. You might be the one that doesn't get it. No. You see, when we understand salvation, that Jesus took all of the sin and all of the curse and all of the sickness, everything under the curse has been dealt with by the blood of Jesus. We don't have to endure pain, sickness, and all of that. We have miracle working power on the inside of us. And he said, those who believe will lay hands on those who are sick and God will perform his love, his loving kindness, his healing power. It's there for us. A while ago, I got a book called The Love Code. And I ministered about that here. It's all about the laying on of hands, <laughs> really. It's about healing our emotional wounds, those things that we just can't get beyond, those things that happened to us when we were a kid and it still it hurts us today. And that book was all about dealing with the heart issues, the heart pains, the things that keep us from being all that Jesus called us to be. And really, those things are all lies. And so, but one of the things he said was, lay hands on your heart. If your heart hurts, <laughs> if you know you have things in your mind, if you can't stay in the saved thinking, <laughs> lay hands on yourself. Why? Because God says, I will minister through your hands. If you just believe that I am as good as I say I am, I will do what you expect me to do. Lay hands on yourself that the pain in your heart will be healed. Lay hands on your head that the lies you believe will be destroyed. And God does it. I tried it. <laughs> I had to find out if it actually worked. Yes, it works. He is as good as he says he is. And then I was thinking about Lauren Peterson. Should I drive there and lay hands on him? What do I do? I want to fix him, Jesus. <laughs> I want him to be well and whole. And the Lord said, you can tell him about this. See, it isn't that they don't know. Timothy knew the truth. And Paul said, I got to remind you of what you already know because you're not walking in it. And you need to. He says, stir up that gift. You know how you stir up a gift? The gifts and callings of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, one, you can start by praising him. <laughs> you cannot enter into worship and not stir up the gifts. <laughs> you cannot enter into praise and thanksgiving and not stir up the Holy Spirit. He will want to do something for you. <laughs> We can stir up the power of God. It says we can. He wants us to. What if we laid hands on ourselves four or five times a day for one to three minutes? The guy who wrote this book, he also wrote a second book called The Healing Code. And it's the same, based on the same premises. That God lives inside of you and he wants to answer your prayer. <laughs> And God is faithful that if we, in faith, lay hands on ourselves, just like we would take medicine. If we will take medicine four times a day, why can't we lay hands on ourselves four or five times a day and let the Holy Spirit release his love and power? We can. One of my favorite small stories in the word about healing is the healing of the leper. I don't have it for you on my screen but I want to read it. Just, it's just a few verses. And a leper came to Jesus, beseeching him and falling on his knees before him and saying, if you are 
willing. He knew Jesus could. He had already seen it. But he wasn't convinced that God was willing. Jesus' death is the proof that God is willing that we should have heaven on earth and the power of God active in our lives. He is willing. He's already provided it. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion. Compassion is love that suffers with us and refuses to leave us in our suffering. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. What? (laughs) He's not supposed to be touching lepers. I asked God, why did you touch him? You heal with a word. You could have blown on him. You could have done anything. Why did you touch him? And God says, because I knew his heart. And his heart needed to be loved. And his body needed to be touched. And he needed to know that I accepted him just the way he is. You can be in sin up to your eyeballs. Your father will still accept you. You can always come home. He is always waiting for us to come to him when we've messed up or when we're sick. (laughs) He touched him and said, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. God cares about the inside just as much as he cares about the outside. Sometimes believers will tell other believers, Jesus only wants you to get rid of your sins. He might have a good reason for you to be sick. We never hear Jesus say that, never. We never hear our Father say that, never. People with leprosy were perceived to be judged by God. In other words, they were sure God was mad at him. (laughs) Whatever you did, God is mad. That's why you have leprosy. That is not God. God doesn't punish our sins. Our sins are all punished in the body of Jesus, where there is no reason for God to make us sick or to stand by and go, okay, go ahead, just keep it. That's not who God is. God says, I want to cooperate with you to get you what you need. Hey, those who believe, lay hands on the sick. (laughs) You know what I found is really hard about this? It's too easy. (laughs) I forget to do it. (laughs) That's what I'm thinking hard about it is I keep forgetting to do it. It doesn't work unless you do it. One of the things that science has found is that when believers start declaring the truth, but they're not convinced, I am healed by the stripes of Jesus. Their heart says, no, you ain't. (laughs) Unless your heart is convinced, unless you have a word from God that he has provided this for you and you can have it, telling believers to keep confessing the word, I am healed because of the stripes of Jesus. I am healed. Their heart says, no, you're not. No, you're not. So how do we get around our heart that says, look, my body still hurts. (laughs) Years ago, before I received my healing for fibromyalgia, it was the same thing. God, I know I got miracles on the inside of me. How do I get them out? (laughs) How do I apply them to me? Lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. 
See, I didn't think about laying hands on myself. I thought it was only you, something you do for somebody else. No, we can lay hands on ourselves. And you know what we can believe? He's working. One of the things that was hard for me was to jump from pain all through my body to truly believing in my heart that I was already healed, that I already had it. I knew the truth in my head all day long, but I couldn't get my body to believe it. <laughs> and one day I was like, Lord, what do I do? And he said, read this devotional. So I read a devotional by Joseph Prince. And Joseph said, sometimes it's hard to go from sick, pain, fear, into perfect peace, just like that. Because of our physical bodies. Our bodies scream at us, you are not well, you are not well, you are not well. <laughs> and God said, do this devotional. What if you could believe he's working on my healing today? He's working in me right now. You see, we can believe that. We don't have a, this big jump to get to. I am completely healed in the name of Jesus. <laughs> see, I knew spiritually I was completely healed. But I had to start with, you know what? It's true. It's mine. I'm walking into it. He's working in me. He's releasing his power. He's releasing his love. He is the God of compassion who touches me where I am so he can get me to where he wants me to be. Amen. Father God, I thank you that you are true. You don't exaggerate. You don't try to get our hopes up so that you can dash them. Father God, you want us to cooperate with the Holy Spirit, that we would begin to stir up our saved thinking, that you have already provided everything we need, everything we need, through the Holy Spirit. Father God, we thank you that you love us with an everlasting love. And in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have said all of the promises are yes and amen. And all you ask us to do is to believe. Believe that you said yes. Believe that you release it. Believe that you are working in us and with us. So Father God, we thank you. I ask, Lord, that you would inspire us to stir up the giftings of the Holy Spirit, that we would spend time in worship, we would spend time in the Word, that we would spend time remembering all the good things that you have done for us. That, Father God, we would let you do in us and through us everything you want. Father God, that you would inspire the giftings of the Holy Spirit that you want us to operate in. You have said there's a whole world that is not saved that needs to know the reality of the power and love of God, and you never separate the two. Power and love are in us by the Holy Spirit. So Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.